Welcome back to the Let's Call It Nothing podcast, where we discuss all things fangirl. This season, we are talking about the Wolves of Mercy Falls series by Maggie Steve Otter. We are currently on the third book forever. Before we get started, what are we currently obsessed with? Ooh, I've been waiting for this one. So what I've been currently obsessed with, and we should say we're doing this at the end of October, so you had just come out the third season, watched it, loved it, Mm -hmm. felt about it. I thought it was going to be super predictable and was not. It never is. I really enjoy that. Couldn't get enough of it. Got the audiobook, listened to that while I made the notes, was obsessed, could not stop watching YouTube videos on it. Then I made, sent the book to my boyfriend, made him read it, or I'm making him read it currently, <laughs> which is great. Uh, get you a boy that reads books. And I really liked that. So I watched Squid Game, loved Squid Game. Reba did not like Squid Game. I'm just not as invested in it. It's not my cup of tea when it comes to K-dramas. She likes rom-coms. That's what I'm figuring out. Supernatural ones. Ugh. Anyway. What genre. What a genre. So I liked that. And then I've, I'm really into, I uh, started Only Murders in the Building. Uh, was kind of hesitant about it just because Selena Gomez is one of the stars and I just don't know her as an actor. Better acting than she has at singing. Yeah. I agree with that, yes. <laughs> I've learned that. Uh, she's really good. I knew you couldn't go wrong with Steve Martin and Martin Short, but it's super funny and they have a podcast in it and I relate to some of the stuff. I need to watch that. It's great. It's really great. Uh, But they have a podcast in it and like they're working on stuff and it it just works well because I I relate to some of that stuff. And like he's uh, one of the characters is like talking to these people and they're like, oh, we have a podcast too. And they're like, oh, we're giving it the old college try. It's nice to have hobbies. (laughs) And, you know, they're like, yeah, we've got 17,000 followers. It's just something to do for fun. And like the the others kind of like the main characters kind of look at each other (laughs) did you send us that i did okay i was like i've seen that i was like yes because i that that's me because i'm always like i feel so like oh i've got a podcast even knowing (laughs) we don't have that many followers i don't tell people if they find out i'm like yeah yeah I, I tell, do people tell people about our podcast. Yeah, I tell yeah. people too. I had someone at camp who just started talking to me about how much I love Twilight. And I was like, how do you know that? And they were like posting about it. And I was like, I was. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, those are my current obsessions. I really recommend those, even though Reba doesn't like Squid Game. <laughs> also, Hango wanted me to tell you that he did watch Squid Game, um, which doesn't impress you. I'm finding out now. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of impressive considering he probably hasn't watched any other Korean shows, but... I think he said he watched, like, Parasite, but that was it. I can't remember. It's been so long ago since we were on his show. Are any current obsessions for you guys? Me? I watched you because I benched the first two, se- two seasons over the summer. I went to the third season being like, I thought it was going to go one way. Then after the preview, I thought it was going to go another way. First couple episodes, which is pretty usual for the show, I was like, eh, eh, eh. But then people just start dying. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this. And the ending, I was like, okay, okay. Fourth season, here we come. Yeah, which they've been confirmed on. I'm excited. And I'm watching Gilmore Girls again because... Of course, I need the autumnal vibes. Mm-hmm. That's what was giving me um, that. 
I'm getting ready for the Christmas spirit, though, so I'm waiting on my Hallmark. Mm-hmm. All those cheesy rom-coms until I get sick of them. Yeah. And then I've been reading a lot lately. I'm back on the KU train, which when did I actually get off? Never. Mm-mm. But um, I've been reading... Lately, I've been reading a lot of, like, shorter, like, sweeter romances, not as spicy as my usual. Mm-hmm. But before that, I was reading ones that were like over 500 pages Mm -hmm. and nothing would really happen until the end. Like the slowest burn, nothing would happen until like 90%, which I actually love. Yeah. Like I'd rather that because I love the build up. I do too. I love seeing like especially the characters who like kind of despise each other. Mm -hmm. And um, the first one I read, a lot of them, they're by the same author, uh, Mariana Zapata. A bunch of her books are on KU. And the first one I read was my favorite because, like, he was an asshole. He was, like, a football player, and she was his assistant. And she quits, like, Mm -hmm. first couple chapters. She quits because she cannot handle his anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, he's also Canadian. Yeah. And it's, like, his contract is, you know, expiring or whatever. Whatever. Ending. Yeah. And so he's putting... He's put in a bind, of mm-hmm. course. So who does he call up? And she's like, um, no, I'm not doing all that for you. He's like, I'll pay off all your um, your debt from college. Because she had a horrible family situation and ended up going to college and everything. So it's, you know, marriage of convenience, which I love. Mm-hmm. They also hate each other, which I love. And it got so cute. And it didn't get spicy until 98% in. But I was cool with that. Yeah. But I love a slow burn. I do, too. They had a post about, like, rom-coms, like Mm -hmm. the movie rom-coms, and it was like, uh, you've got to tell me your favorite rom-com, and it had, like, pictures, and I was like, I don't like any of these. (laughs) What were Um, they? It was, like, Titanic and um, Dear John. and Those are not rom-coms. No. There was a... (laughs) Those are dramas with romance yeah what else was there there was like a whole bunch of them um me before you five feet apart stuff like these that these were not rom-com no these not, not. The title that's what article. they that's what they put there's no way well that was horrible because the title does not match no and i was like <laughs> all those are like sad yeah they're yeah. all yeah pretty sad yeah and i was like have i seen any of them all the way through no because no, they're sad i've seen out of the ones Peyton just listed two all the way through and i i was like i don't like any of these like i don't watch these like my favorites are like 10 things i hate about you and say anything so those like weren't nothing your stuff the fluffier but like the two mains don't work together mm-hmm. very well i like that reba you got any current obsessions mm, i got a couple i'm still into k-pop so that's where we're rolling with that um catfish i got back on the catfish train we love catfish in this house we do uh i think when christmas we just watched catfish like one christmas party we just like just sat down and watched that sounds right i have no (laughs) idea what you were referring to but that sounds right it was when uh you were at the old apartment like by yourself oh i don't remember anything from that time of my life putting that out there Honestly, yeah, I've got PTSD. Yeah, I don't remember either because I feel like every time we've gotten together, the main thing we watch is Community. <laughs> That's been here lately. What's your favorite episode? <laughs> we like nerded up. Yeah. What's your favorite? I love that one. When we were doing Linger, we were like, we have to watch the one where they sing <laughs> Jeffrey Linger. <laughs> 
If you had listened to our first episode of Linger, I played that song. Yeah. <laughs> kind of started rewatching The Untamed because it's something I can put on in the background while I do other stuff. And then I watched the last season of the animated version of that since it came out recently, which was pretty good. I cried at the end. Interesting. I have not watched 90 Day Fiance in a very long time. <laughs> Y'all should be proud of me. Wow. I see plenty of commercials about it, but I do not watch it. Uh, and ironically, it was when I got Discovery Plus for some reason <laughs> to specifically watch 90 Day Fiance. No sense. I don't know. It's I was, okay because I've been watching enough Bachelor shows to make up for your last time. Good. I have been. Uh, so I love this. Uh, they have a podcast too, but I watch his YouTube videos called Psychology in Seattle where Dr. Kirk Honda goes through and he reacts to reality TV shows. And he's been doing like Danielle and Muhammad from 90 Day Fiance. And that's the only thing that I've really been watching on (laughs) 90 Day Fiance. Because if you have not watched these people, oh my God, go back and watch Danielle and Muhammad because you were going to be cringing the entire time. Speaking of good relationships. Oh, I guess we need to get into this. (laughs) Intro into the chapters starts with me which is chapter 16 and it's from stan's point of view and yes i will be reading the whole chapter i woke up i blinked my eyes momentarily mystified by the brightness of my bedroom light in the middle of the night slowly my thoughts assembled themselves and i remembered leaving the light on thinking i wouldn't be able to fall asleep but here i was my eyes uncertain from sleep my desk lamp casting lopsided shadows from one side of the room my notebook had slid partially off my chest all the words inside it off kilter Above me, the paper cranes spun on their strings in frantic, lumpy circles animated by the air vent in the ceiling. They looked desperate to escape their individual worlds. When it became obvious that I wasn't going back to sleep, I stretched my leg out and used my bare foot to turn on the CD player on the table at the end of my bed. Finger-picked guitar sounded through the speakers, each note in time with my heart. Lying sleepless in this bed reminded me of nights before Grace, when I'd lived in the house with Beck and the others. Back then, the population of paper cranes above me, scrawled with memories, had been in no danger of outgrowing their habitat as it slowly counted down towards my expiration date, the day when I'd lose myself to the woods. I'd stay awake long into the night, lost with wanting. The longing then was abstract, though. I'd wanted something I knew I couldn't have. A life after September... A life after 20. A life with more than time spent Sam than Wolf. But now what I longed for wasn't an imagined future. It was a concrete memory of me slouched in the leather chair in the Brisbane study. A novel, The Children of Men, in my hand while Grace sat at the desk, biting the end of a pencil while doing homework. Saying nothing, because we didn't have to. Just pleasantly intoxicated with the leather scent of the chair around me and the vague smell of a roasted chicken hanging in the air and the sound of Grace sighing and turning her chair back and forth. Beside her, the radio hummed pop songs, top 40 hits that faded into the background until Grace tunelessly sang a refrain. After a while, she lost interest in her homework and crawled into the chair with me. Make room, she said, though there was no way to make room. I protested when she pinched my thigh, trying to make herself fit into the seat beside me. Sorry for hurting you, she said right in my ear, but it wasn't really an apology, because you don't bite someone's earlobe to tell them you're sorry. I pinched her and she laughed as she pressed her face into my collarbone. One of her hands tunneled between the chair and my back to touch my shoulder blades. I pretended to read on as she pretended to rest against me, but she kept pinching my shoulder blade and I kept tickling her with my free hand until she was laughing even as we kissed and kissed again. There is no better taste than this, someone else's laughter in your mouth. 
After a while, Grace fell asleep for real on my chest, and I tried, unsuccessfully, to follow her. Then I picked my book back up again and stroked her hair and read to the soundtrack of her breaths. The weight of her pinned my fleeting thoughts to the ground, and in that moment, I was more in the world than I'd ever been. So now, looking at the paper cranes tugging urgently on their strings, I knew exactly what I wanted. Because I'd had it, I couldn't fall back asleep. Sam! Sam! Also beautifully written. Yes. Yeah, I like the line of him talking about the paper cranes on their strings, frantic, lumpy circles, and that they look desperate to escape their individual worlds. I like those lines. Yeah. I wish I could write like that. Yeah. I was hoping at some point that he was kind of dreaming of this and that Cole was like pinching his shoulder for some reason. (laughs) That would have been great. And I would have loved that. If we were writing it, that's what would happen. Yeah. Exactly. Chapter 17 is from Grace's point of view. Grace is human running from Shelby in the middle of a thunderstorm. As a wolf, Shelby has the advantage. Grace attempts to find a tree to climb, but they are either too small or too large. She tries to bolt and Shelby lunges at the same time. Grace falls into darkness and as she is screaming for help, she shifts. There was no up or down, just blackness, just water coating my mouth and skin. It was so cold, so cold. Color exploded in front of my eyes, just a symptom in this blackness, my brain crying for help. I clawed my way to the surface and gasped. My mouth was full of gritty liquid mud. I felt it oozing down my cheeks from my hair. Thunder grumbled above me, the sound seeming to come from far away. I felt like I was in the middle of the earth, shivering almost too much to stand. I stretched my legs out and felt for the bottom. There, when I stood, the water came to the tip of my chin. It was freezing cold and filthy, but at least I could keep my head above water without tiring. My shoulders shook with involuntary tremors. I was so cold. Then, standing in the frigid water, I felt it. A slow, slow path of nausea that started in my stomach and crawled up my throat. The cold. It was pulling at me, telling my body to shift. But I couldn't shift. As a wolf, I'd have to swim to keep my head above the water. And I couldn't swim forever. Maybe I could climb out. I half swam, half stumbled through the icy water reaching out. There must be a way out of this. My hands jammed into a craggy dirt wall that was perfectly vertical, stretching up higher than I could reach. My stomach twisted inside me. No, I told myself. No, you're not shifting. Not now. I made my way around the wall, feeling the possible escape. The sides stretched up and away from me, endless. I tried to get purchase in them, but my fingers wouldn't dig into the packed dirt, and the roots gave way under my weight, sending me back into the mud. My skin trembled, both from the cold and the impending shift. I sucked in my frozen lower lip to try to steady it. I could cry for help, but no one would would hear me. Yeah, to kind of clarify, because that last sentence was added a little too early, is that she doesn't shift until after she falls into the water. For forever, it was tough to find, like, because there was a lot of good pieces I wanted to keep in, and also it was really long to write, because we're doing 15 pages, or 15 chapters per episode. So, some of this, I was like, okay, this is important, and other parts, I was like, okay, this is funny, and we need to keep it in. Anyway, chapter 18 is from Sam's point of view. Sam and Cole walk into the bookstore. After Cole gave Sam a pitiful look, Sam invited his friend to go to work with him. (laughs) He states he doesn't regret his decision bringing Cole along yet. But the day is still young. Cole asks him where his leotard was. When Sam questions it, Cole states he expected him to be a superhero or something. While Cole is observing his new environment, Sam spots someone outside, Amy, Grace's mom. 
Looking to her studio. Walking to her studio, not looking. Her expression is furrowed and her mannerisms worried. Sam could only assume her state has everything to do with the news about the body. He acknowledges the right thing to do would be to tell her the truth, but he is haunted by many crimes Grace's parents committed against him. After wrestling with himself, he decides he has to tell her. He leaves the store and runs out calling for her. She tries to brush him off, but he says... I just thought, you might not know. It's not Grace. She asks him if he's sure. He tells her Isabel Culpepper would say the same thing. They talk for a minute and she invites him into her studio. I find this chapter really interesting because we're seeing Grace's parents actually care about something other than themselves. We we made our predictions um, at the end of Linger on how they would react to Grace missing. Mm -hmm. And we're like, "Mm, y'all are kind of wrong. both of our ideas yeah the reaction is still they're worried but they're not as you would expect parents to be they're not like like they're really really considering her as a runaway yeah they're also like amy's worried about that body being hers but like what is she doing about it nothing as per usual they're not amy is hiding with her paintbrushes they're not doing what you would expect like most parents do or you've seen in real life do where they put out flyers they go to the media yeah. like they and talk like, to people hammering down the police's door or whatever like where's my daughter yeah like what are you doing about this there is an epidemic of missing teenagers right now like <laughs> for real Get with it. yeah we're on to chapter 19, which is from Cole's perspective. So Cole wanders around the store for a bit, finding a book on how to survive worst case scenarios and tries to find sections that re- relate to him being a werewolf, overcoming addiction, and how to live with yourself. He couldn't find any, of course. <laughs> Isabel walks in and Cole does a piss poor job of trying to ignore his attraction for her. Yeah, he, he really does. They do their usual back and forth and he asks if she would play mind games with Sam in this situation. She wonders aloud if he could sound any more insecure. Cue the eye twitching. <laughs> For real. From me and Isabel. And <laughs> quotes here we have, The answer to that question is always yes, but I didn't appreciate her bringing up my less public vices. <laughs> <laughs> so Cole spots the cups that she's holding and removes the, the lids. One of the cups is a coffee and the other one, the healthy as he calls it, is a green tea. Um, and he decides, you know what? And takes a drink of the coffee. And of course, this annoys Isabel because, of course, it was for her. And it is also written here in the notes, which serves her right. <laughs> Cole feels the same way, but for a different reason than me, such Peyton thought of. <laughs> yeah, because I was thinking about her drinking Sam's tea. In- she has to drink it now? <laughs> no, she drank Sam's tea in Linger. Like, and he was like, that ah. was mine. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I remember this vaguely so, now. Okay. Now, now it's coming back to her. Because- <laughs> How do you remember that? I have an elephant's memory. <laughs> hey, this is actually a tropey thing mm-hmm. that I love. Mm-hmm. I've written this before. Okay, so when Isabel doesn't seem to understand about the... He feels the same way about it serving her right, but it's different than mine. No, that's not what... I feel like we skipped some explanation parts about why Isabel doesn't seem to understand, so Cole puts his hand up to his ear. That's why. He mm-hmm. feels that it serves her right, because he was... Yeah, we, we just skipped some explanation that part, which made that confusing. Bullying her a little bit, like, hey, that's what you get. Essentially, it's he's annoying her because she ignored all his voicemails, and he's like, this serves you right for doing that. And then, oh, Isabel says, and she shakes her head, are you serious? Still? 
the calls. Come on, Cole. I wasn't going to do that with you. You're toxic. Toxic, I echoed. Actually, I'd be lying if I thought I wasn't flattered. There's a strength to that word that was tempting. Toxic. Yes, toxicity. It's one of my finer features. Is this because I didn't sleep with you? Funny. Normally girls yell at me because I did screw them. <laughs> All the wrong things to say, man. <laughs> Don't be flattered by being called toxic and being like, you should be flattered. <laughs> he, yeah, insecure is right. Like, oh my gosh. He's saying all the right, the wrong things for the right reasons. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't know what I would say to them. So Isabel. Probably. probably. <laughs> Isabel thinks it, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Pr- she thinks a lot more than just that. Probably. There's a lot more cussing going on in her head. So Isabel tells him she is mad at him because she watched him seize up the other day and she can't watch someone else die. Of course, something he should be aware of at this point in their relationship. Cole notices how close she is to him and he's, of course, being a little pervy about it. He grabs her hips and tells her he wasn't trying to kill himself. She asks him if he was just chasing a high. He admits he was trying to become a wolf. And then she says, of course, that's all semantics. To which he responds that all of this, his whole attitude and misadventures, have been him trying to find a cure. Like, no, Isabel, I'm not trying to just get high and kill myself. I'm trying to find a cure. I'm past that. He's like, I'm a good person now. He's like, um, yes, you call me toxic. And I was like, wow, thanks. <laughs> but... <laughs> He's, he's like, I've moved past the I'm taking drugs for a high portion of my life. I'm using it for experimenting. Science, man. Science. It's mm-hmm. for science. Mm-hmm. Chapter 20 is from Sam's perspective. Sam goes into Amy's studio and the only painting with a subject is the one on the easel. The subject is Grace with her back turned. Shoulders hunched, sit in a small corner of the painting. Amy tells him she wants him to say what he's thinking and he also has a habit of making her nervous. She has always been able to get people to talk, and it's impossible to get Sam talking. Finally, she pleads with him. He says, I was thinking that that is not the grace that I ever knew. I see, she says. Well, this is the only grace I know, I said slowly. She looks lonely, cold. I wondered where she was. Independent, stubborn, Amy let out a sudden sigh and whirled away from me, making me start. I didn't think I was being a horrible mother. (coughs) (laughs) all of us giving looks right now my parents never gave me privacy they read every book i read went to every social event i went to strict curfew i lived under a microscope until i got to college and then i never went home again i still don't talk to them they still look at me under the giant glass she made a binoculars motion at me i thought we were great me and lewis as soon as grace started wanting to do stuff on her own we let her i won't lie I was really happy to have my social life back too. But she was doing great. Everyone said their kids were acting out and doing badly in school. If Grace had started doing badly, we would have changed. You left her, Sam said. There was a pause. She hadn't expected to say anything, maybe. Or maybe she just hadn't expected me to disagree. That's not true, she said. I believe what she told me. I saw her cry over you guys. That was real. Grace isn't dramatic. Okay, Sam, no bull****, right? I thought there were times I was selfish. (laughs) There were times I saw what I wanted to see. But it goes both ways, Sam. Grace wasn't the warmest daughter in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like, excuse me. Who's the parent in this situation? I'm going to keep going. See, I'm going to keep going. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we're almost done. Do you love her? I asked. More than she loves me. Sam doesn't respond, and Amy asks if Sam loves Grace. 
He tells her he's here now, which is an obvious yes. Amy then asks where Grace is. Sam doesn't answer. She goes on to tell him that Lewis thinks that Sam actually killed Grace. Sam remains silent. She says it's mainly because of his past. Lewis thinks Sam would kill Grace because he wouldn't let Sam see her. She tells him that she doesn't think Sam killed her, but wants to know where her daughter is. He says he honestly doesn't know. Grace's mom tells him if he finds her before they do to tell Grace that she loves her. No matter what, Sam asked. No matter what, she confirmed. But he doesn't believe her. Okay, before you unpack, I think it's weird that she thinks that that Lewis thinks that Sam would kill Grace because they wouldn't let the two of them see each other. To me, the most obvious answer to that would be to kill the parents, but... <laughs> I can think of several murders where that has been the case. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, but they're like, Sam is so messed up that he would kill her so that he could always have her and, like, we couldn't have her. Like, he would find some way in his mind to make it make sense. Hey, Amy, 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 Amy. At least you're honest. Yeah. Partially. And she's pretty honest. Not with herself. No. no. Yeah. I mean, she thinks she's such a martyr. Yeah, her just trying to say her. She's like, but it goes both ways. Grace wasn't the warmest father either, and I'm like, you're the freaking dolt here. You're the parent. Okay, I she was, was kind of a bitch. Like she was a little cold. I'm like, you're her mother. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't, I wasn't a warm daughter. I've never been considered warm. I was a bitch to everyone, evidently. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we were telling Caitlin how mean she was to us in high school. Telling me all the little things I would say. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and she's like, why didn't you punch me? We're like, because we loved I you. I would have resented you for forever, but <laughs> not any more than you resent me. <laughs> Back to mothers. So, but I mean, resentment. I, I wasn't a warm daughter. I'm not an affectionate person. I'm not a cuddly person. But I've always hung out with my family. Like, that's how I bond. Like, watching TV, you know, just hanging out. And they never did that with her. They didn't care to do that with her. They occasionally did, they but like, not consistently. Why, why? But Amy kind of, you know, turning it back on herself and being like, my parents were so overprotective. They were always, like, on me about everything. Like, so I'm going to be not. What I was doing all the time, which, I mean... Them being strict is one thing, but them mm-hmm. just being interested. Like, you could take your own childhood experiences and not go in a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. You could say, here's what I learned from my parents. Here's what I'm going to take from it. You know, mm-hmm. what I want to do with my children. Here's what I'm not going to do. Yeah. I feel like we all do that, you know, if we ever aspire to be parents. Mm-hmm. And whether or not we actually do that. Grace, like... I think it's in the second book is she really goes into like her craving like just wanting to hang out with her mom and I wonder how much she actually has communicated that with them they don't ever communicate wanting to hang out with her well no to be honest would they even pay attention to it because like in the very first book there was this whole entire scene with her talking to her dad and him absolutely paying attention to nothing that she said um until she said sex 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 yeah i think at this point because it's been like so many years since she's gotten her own wings and learned how to fly per se like maybe if she was younger but at that point you're a kid like you're not thinking like how do i get my parents to love hopefully you're not thinking how to get my parents to love me but I'm going to be honest, Grace probably thought that several times. Yeah. Yeah. How do I get them to be interested? How can we hang out more? I don't know. I get sick and tired of the victim blaming. 
Yeah, that's exactly what she's doing. And I feel so bad for Sam because the last line is he didn't believe her on... Why would he? No matter what. Because he's so used to, like, his parents tried to kill him for being a werewolf, which is what he's asking. He's like, no matter what. That's what he's asking. Because he knows that she's a wolf now. Oh, no. Her parents wouldn't take it well. No. No. And her whole thing of, like, no bullshit, right? Like, we're going to be honest with each other, Sam, right? Mm -hmm. I was selfish. Like, she's trying to be like, oh, I know I have all these faults and everything, but then turn it back on Grace being like, you know, she wasn't the warmest daughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, I love her more than she loves me. I am such a warm and caring mother. I let my daughter do what she wants to do. Yeah. Aside from having you as a boyfriend, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're messed up. Which is all just some big fat bullshit, but... This is not parenting 101. <laughs> this is the exact opposite. This is anti-parenting 101. How to fuck up your child 101. Yeah. The name of this episode shall be <laughs> anti-parenting 101. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything else to say about that that hasn't already been said. I don't. Because, I mean, as far as her parents go, most of what's been done has been done. Chapter 21 is from Isabel's point of view. Isabel ponders if she can believe what Cole said about his recent drug-induced state, or if he was still suicidal. They argue whether or not it would have killed him when Isabel gets a phone call from her dad. He had meant to call her mom to tell her that his friend has set up, the congressman, has set up the plan into motion. The dead girl was the last straw, and now they're going to set up an aerial hunt. Isabel asks him if he knows when this will take place, and her dad says it might take a month to put in it into action. When Isabel gets off the phone with her dad, Sam walks into the store. Cole being Cole says, bad news, Ringo, we're going to die. Isabel explains what's going on because Cole's not. Um, And Sam tells them his top priority is Grace and then the rest of the pack. Cole says he thinks he can help with that. I can help with that. (laughs) 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 There's so much stuff Cole does, and I'm just like, oh my God. (laughs) Too much. He's the character guy. Maggie was like, what would this guy say? Like, I I love chaotic characters so much. All right, we're on to chapter 22 now, which is from Sam's point of view. So Sam and Cole go into the woods with the plan to trap Grace. Sam is shocked to realize Cole wasn't just trashing the house while he was away, but also learning how to trap wolves. So Sam asks how many traps, and then Cole says five-ish, with one being for Tom Culpepper, (laughs) which Sam gets a little kick out of. I want to know what his plan was on how to get Tom in this trap. That's really what I want to know. I would like to date your daughter. Also, <laughs> you're a horrible person. And I'm planning on trapping you and killing you like you killed Victor. Also, please don't kill my friends or me. So while they're out there, Sam states he thinks he can smell Shelby, who Cole refers to as the pissy one. And I don't know if that's for mood reasons or literal ones. <laughs> Um, probably a little bit of both. <laughs> Sam explains he knows Salem to be the Omega of the pack, but when he became a wolf the last time, he noticed how low Shelby had fallen in the pack's hierarchy. And, and then, of course, cue another traumatizing flashback of Shelby messing and f***ing around with Sam, which that was a really gross. I hated reading that part. Yeah, I kind of skipped over it. <laughs> no idea what y'all are referring to. Uh, the bird with a pencil, a Batman pencil. Shelby. Sam's Batman pencil at that was my Sam, Sam was hella traumatized by this 
It's a, just another one of those things he was traumatized by. All right. So Sam hopes she's dead and the scent is just some distant memory of her. So the two of them then follow the smell and realize that it's recent. From there, they hear a wolf whimper followed by splashing. Hang on. Suddenly, they're given an image in their minds of the wolf's location. Pause. I thought it was only in Sam's mind, not both of theirs. Yeah, well, it's Sam's point of view. Well, you wrote they. That's why. Well, I'm human and I make mistakes (laughs) a lot. (laughs) Suddenly, Sam's given an image in his mind of the wolf's location, showing a deep butthole. Um... Which is what it boils down to anyway. I didn't hear the word mud. (laughs) Stop halfway paying attention. I heard it deep. (laughs) You and your... (laughs) It was mud, M-U-D, not B-U-T-T. I'm sick of you. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Caitlin flipped me the bird and I feel offended. She flipped me two two birds. (laughs) I would love to see you flip the bird with your toes. Continue trying. I will take a picture. So they see this location and they, of course, Sam's like, well, we're going to go there. So they make it there and they see a wolf, which of course is Grace, under clear distress and almost giving up from having, being in this sinkhole that's there with all this water and gross muddy stuff. She's like barely hanging on. So trying to figure out a plan, Sam's immediate thought is to jump into the sinkhole, which Cole says, Sam Roth, you bastard. Sam tries to get closer to Grace while she's in her wolf form, but of course she panics and loses her hold on this the small like paw hold as Peyton has in quotes here uh, that she had where she was trying to keep herself up and above the water. But because she loses that hold, she sinks down and pops back up, but she's struggling. Cole, of course, uh, is like, well, should I go down there and help you? And Sam's like, the water's way too cold for him to jump in because, of course, this will cause him to turn. Grace goes back down into the water and Sam then lunges for her. He grabs her wolf body and tries to hold her above the water. And that's when Sam realizes Cole is gone and he declares he's not giving up. Man, this was the chapter I completely skimmed, so I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> no, I... This is... The logistics of it, I was like... I skimmed a little bit of it because I was like... I got the gist of it. I just want to get through this part (laughs) but this is kind of where it starts to get interesting again yeah chapter 23 is from a bunch of perspectives but we start off with cole running as a wolf was effortless every muscle was built for it every part of the wolf body worked together for seamless constant motion and the wolf mind wouldn't hold on to the concept of tiring at some point in the future so there was only running like you would never stop and then stopping as a human, I felt clumsy and slow. My feet were useless in the mud, collecting so much crap on the bottom that I had to knock it off to continue. By the time I reached my destination, the shed, I was out of breath and my knees ached from running uphill. No time to stop, though. I already had half an idea of what to retrieve from the shed, unless a better idea presented itself. I pushed open the door and peered inside. Stuff had seemed infinitely practical when I'd been in here before, but now it seemed useless and fanciful. Bins of clothing, boxes of food, bottled water, television blankets, Doritos. Doritos. (laughs) Wife's choice of chip. I tore the lids off the bin marked supplies looking for what I really needed. Some kind of cable, a bungee cord, rope, ball python, anything I could fasten around the mouth of a bin to turn it into some sort of dumbwaiter for wolves. But... There was nothing. This was like kindergarten for wolves. Snack time and nap supplies. I swore into the empty room. Maybe I should have risked the extra time to go back to the house for the ladder. I thought about Sam shivering down in the hole with Grace in his arms. I had a sudden flash of memory. Victor's cold body at the bottom of a hole. Dirt flung over him. 
It was only a trick of my thoughts and an untrue one at that. Victor had been wrapped up when we buried him, but it was not enough. I wasn't burying another wolf with Sam, especially not Grace. The thing I was beginning to figure out about Sam and Grace, thing about Sam not being able to function without her, was that that sort of love only worked when you were sure both people would always be around for each other. If one half of the equation left or died or was slightly less perfect in their love, it became the most tragic, pathetic story invented, laughable in its absurdity. Without Grace, Sam was a joke without a punchline. Think, Cole, what is a logical answer? My father's voice. I closed my eyes, imagined the sides of the pit, Grace, Sam, and myself at the top. Simple. Sometimes the simplest solution was the best. Opening my eyes, I grabbed two bins and upended them, dumping their contents into the floor and shed, abandoning everything in them but a towel. I nested the bins inside each other along with the towel and tucked the lids under my arms. It felt like the best weapon in my life had always been the most innocuous. Empty plastic bins, a blank CD, and a marked syringe. My smile in a dark room. I slammed the shed door behind me. Then we have Grace's perspective. I was dead, floating in the water deeper than me and wider than me. I was, bubbling breath, clay in my mouth, black star vision, a moment, then a moment, then I was Grace. I was floating dead in the water, colder than me and stronger than me. Stay awake. The warmth of his body tugged at my skin, ripped. Please, if you can understand me. I was inside out. Everything was yellow, gold smeared all over my skin. Stay awake. I was awake. I was... And then we go to Cole's perspective. When Cole gets back to the pit, he notices it is eerily quiet and he partially thinks he's going to find both Sam and Grace dead. He looks into the pit to see that they aren't dead. Sam is holding on to Grace and shivering from the cold. Cole throws down a bin for them to step down onto. He notices that Sam looks rather hopeless. Cole jumps down there and positions the two bins where, when wind full of water, they could hold them up, hopefully for enough time for all of them to get out. He works fast while he feels the prickling sensation of shifting from the cold. Sam makes his way up the bins and apologizes before throwing Grace onto the land above. Cole notices how much it pains Sam to do this. Then Sam insists on Cole getting out first. Sam barely makes it out and thankfully Cole is still human enough to grab him before the bins fall deep into the pit. Sam apologizes, kind of, for treating Cole so poorly in the past. Cole takes this as any emotionally stunted person would. He looks down at the pit and he spits into it. He realized at this moment that any time he has ever tried to kill himself, there was always an easy way out. And his quote is, I never really considered that it was a privilege to die as Cole and not as something else. Okay, so it's kind of confusing, but what Cole did was he, because you can just like throw the bins down and they'd just be full of air. So he like fills them with the water of sorts and like they sink down and so he stacks them, but they're very unsteady because the pit's just growing larger. I think I kind of understand what you're saying. Nope. When I read it, though, it does it. It's hard to make sense I'm, of. I have to see it. <laughs> That's fine. I don't need to know this. It's fine. And I think the bins are like, I don't think they're like what I would consider like the rectangular bins. Mm-hmm. I think they're the tall like garbage can bins. So they're not steady on top of each other anyway. Yeah, I was thinking long rectangular plastic bins, not tall ones. I'm just here. 
I'm sorry if you're like Caitlin and don't quite get it. It's kind of confusing. And the main thing to take away from this is well, that they're Grace rescued, almost <laughs> drowned, and then Sam and Cole saved her. But then Cole also being like, okay, maybe like, like it's a privilege to actually die in my human form as opposed to a wolf because Grace almost mm-hmm. died as a wolf. Victor had yeah, died as, as a wolf. wolf. Mm-hmm. It's also another chapter where he thinks a lot about their relationship and it shows how much he cares about them and their friendship yeah and their relationship he kind of sees how much sam cares for grace yeah he Mm -hmm. admires that yeah and he couldn't like he knows sam could not live without grace no i mean he's seen a little bit of it with her being a wolf and sam being like pretty much useless yeah and shutting down like he wouldn't talk to him yeah uh, but we start off chapter four, 24, not four. <laughs> yeah, we're way past that. <laughs> we start off chapter 24 with Isabel's perspective or all the way through is Isabel. Isabel is planning on going to see Sam and Cole, but her parents kidnap her and take her to a restaurant with a big group of people. One boy shoots something down Isabel's shirt and she threatens to sell his firstborn to the devil if he does it again love it yeah i was like that's a very interesting um (laughs) threat (laughs) threat like not the one i would have immediately picked up on i would be more like i will slit your throat and or (laughs) i'll slit your throat and your tongue will hang out from the outside of it (laughs) you keep on or you'll be using your tongue as a little necktie or something (laughs) maybe i'm a sick bastard Selling the firstborn to the devil doesn't... I mean, we are too for laughing while you're saying yeah. it, so... <laughs> she remembers the last time she was here was with her brother, and he was sitting at the same place the boy that shot something down her shirt is. Some bread. I didn't know if it was that or, like, a piece of a straw or something. Like, yeah, he, I think he kept bread. throwing bread, bread. Her, she's How rude. Yeah. I know that guys will do that, like, trying to shoot, like, try to, like, throw something down girls' cleavage because they're pigs yeah they are um uh, her brother had been a jerk the last time they were there but she felt bad for acknowledging that her father talks about killing the wolves and she notes that he hasn't sounded this way since jack had died isabel realizes that if she hadn't found out the secret of the wolves or met grace sam and cole she would have been happy at this moment because her life would have been kind of normal at this point and she would have been happy that the wolves were gonna go even if she was surrounded by people she didn't like in a crappy restaurant she receives some message from sam about finding grace and that situation we found her and i've I'm going to say the right words because it's very misspelled because Sam is like freezing to death at this yeah. point. Um, but the message says we found her was bad, but Cole pulled through like a hero. Thought you'd want to know. Isabel has a hard time saying the words Cole and hero together in a sentence. <laughs> her father goes on to talk about the hunt. Isabel sees another text. I thought she was going to die, Isabel. I'm so relieved it hurts. The boy throws something again. And all of a sudden, Isabel can't take it any longer. She runs to the bathroom. When she gets there, the tears pour, even though she knows it's a bad idea to cry in public because everyone will notice when she comes back. And here's a pro tip for me, if you were like me, and you cannot handle people knowing that you've cried at anything because that's not what people do. I mean, who would want to deal with emotions? I always tell people that I've been sneezing and I'm just like, man, my allergies, you know. Well, I mean, like you're a little... It would not work for me. It's very obvious (laughs) well like i'm stuffy and like your eyes get red i'm just like yeah i've just been sneezing my head off man No, not like they do what i'm crying they don't (laughs) well i cry 
all the time. <laughs> Not while you're crying. I'm talking about after, like, once you've composed yourself and you still look oh, like no, you've been no. crying. No, when no. I compose myself and I come back and someone says, are you okay? It's going to happen again. And it's going to happen <laughs> in front of them. No, I can't emotionally deal with people, like, talking to me about my emotions, trauma, you know. Uh, yeah, me too. So, like, I'm not going to tell people that I've been crying or anything. So, I'm going to be like, yeah, man, it's my allergies. I've been coughing and sneezing if a lot. If I cried because I was pissed off at something, I'll be like, yeah, I was just over there crying. No, I won't do that. <laughs> I don't. So, that's what I tell people. You may can try it and maybe it'll work for you. Apparently, it doesn't work for Caitlin and Reba. But if it helps, you're welcome. I'm going to help out you emotionally stunning people like me. Um, just be honest. If you are in a decent situation where you know you'll have... Or be like me and um, gain sympathy. Right in public. So. I can't do it. That shows weakness. I can't do it. Anyway. <laughs> I'm a weak bitch. <laughs> can't show emotions. Uh, this is Isabel talking. Jack was gone. My father always got what he wanted. I wanted and hated Cole St. Clair and no one, no one would ever feel the way about me the way that Sam felt about Grace when he sent the, that text. So before I go on, I want to say, so we, like it, it was hinted in Linger that Isabel had a little crush on Sam. I don't think it's, I don't think it was a crush. I think... Oh, it, I thought you said it was hidden. No. Hinted. I said hinted. I meant, <laughs> it's okay. I, so, I meant to say hinted. It was hinted at a little bit that um, she had a crush on Sam, but I don't think... Like, this kind of says that it isn't that. It's yeah, more... Yeah, that's what I got from this part. As I was reading yeah. this, I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, I had that idea before. Mm-hmm, but it's solidified here. That it's not... Sam, it's the relationship Sam and Grace have together. Which, if you think, you know, she's younger yeah. than them. She really looks up to that. Mm-hmm. I believe it. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense now, and it just makes it better that Cole's jealous of that. She sits on the bathroom floor, remembering how she thought Cole was weak when he talked about killing himself, but now she understands. Because if somebody were to give her something right now and tell her it would all end, she would take it. Uh, her mom comes into the bathroom but doesn't ask if Isabel's upset. She just says they'll tell the group and her father that Isabel is throwing up and they're going to home if Isabel drives. They leave the restaurant. And I like this moment with Isabel's mom a little bit. I mean, some of it's um, problematic. <laughs> Comparing it to Grace's, Grace's mom. mom. <laughs> yeah, like, because, you know, she sees her daughter's upset. And I'm sure she's thinking, well, the last time we were here, we were here with Jack. And, you know, she's like, okay, we'll just tell him you're throwing up and we'll go. If you, like, compare how the Culpeppers have dealt with trauma in their family as opposed to how the Brisbane's have. Yeah. <laughs> Very different. I mean, our... Uh, Isabel's parents perfect absolutely oh, not no no but, no no you know they, they're going to therapy which they're, we always recommend yeah they care about their daughter they don't have you know they they talk to her even if half the time Isabel doesn't want to talk to them yeah which I mean she's a teenager you don't want to talk to your parents mm-hmm. god that's awful you know so I can't be mad at them I mean yes Isabel's mom's an alcoholic and that's why she can't drive right now she- also is you know coping with her own trauma and loss mm-hmm. so i mean that's a horrible way to do it of course yes but that does have to be considered 
All right, so we're moving on to chapter 25, which is from Grace's point of view. So Grace wakes up in the bathroom of Beck's house, and she finds some clothes on the counter with a note. And this note is from Sam, and it says, Grace, this is possibly the worst thing I've ever done. Shut my girlfriend in my bathroom. But we didn't know what else to do with you until you shifted. I put your clothing in here. Door's not locked, so you can just open it as soon as you have fingers. I can't wait to see you. Sam. Initially, she's happy. She tries to remember why he was apologizing. And then after thinking, she remembers the Shelby ordeal. Grace walks out of the bathroom to find Cole in Beck's room on the bed. He is spread out with a million papers and photos surrounding him. She asks if he is awake and asks what he's doing in Beck's room and he confirms that he's awake and she asks him why you were, why he was sleeping in there. I wasn't sleeping, Cole said. He rolled onto his back. Sam never sleeps. I'm trying to learn his secrets. <laughs> he's got like flashlight and a spy glass like, <laughs> a magnifying glass and he's like oh yeah he's got like black light like, a little like brush with the dust stuff to like powder the yeah. fingerprint powder yep. yeah this makes grace sad to hear this about sam and ask if the secrets of sam are in these pictures Cole tells her it is Beck's secrets and shows her Beck's journal. Grace then asks if Beck would be happy with him snooping through his stuff. And then Cole reminds her that Beck isn't here to have a say. AKA, I don't give a f***. Like, nope. that's, that's what it boils down to, yes. Cole tells her Beck wanted him to take over the pack. Grace is confused by this because she thought Beck wanted Sam to do so. But then remember, Sam hadn't been cured at this point in time. So to Beck, this wasn't ever a possibility. And this is quoted. Why he had chosen Cole specifically was less certain. At some point, he must have seen this guy in front of me and thought that he would make a good pack leader. At some point, he must have seen something of himself in Cole. I thought I could see it. Maybe. Sam had Beck's gestures, but Cole had the strength of Beck's personality, the confidence. There is something like the force of Beck's character in Cole. Where Sam was kind, Cole was driven. And then Cole says, Beck didn't want me to die. That's why he chose me. He thought I was going to kill myself, and he thought he would save me. And back to Grace, she says, People kill themselves every day, I said. It's like 30,000 Americans a year or something like that. Do you really think that's why he chose you? I don't. It's just not logical. Out of everyone in the world, obviously, he picked you for a very specific reason, especially considering that you're famous and otherwise a risk. I mean, logic. Logic. Cole smiled at me then. The sudden broad thing that was pleasing in its realness. I like you, he said. You can stay. Look <laughs> like how he's like, you can stay. She's like, I wasn't going anywhere, but thanks for your approval. When I read this, I immediately thought, Cole is a walking meme. So Grace asks where Sam is, and Cole tells her that he's downstairs. And then Grace asks if Cole had seen Olivia, which Cole follows up with, Who? And Grace describes her to him. His face contorts into an expression Grace can't read. And then he simply states, haven't seen her. As Grace leaves the room, Cole calls after her. But then he hesitates, saying, never mind. What does Cole know? What does he know? Something. Uh, the next chapter is chapter 26. And I've reserved it for Caitlin so that she can abridge it however she wants to. I just wanted her because she loved it so much and it was tropey. I don't know what part of me loved it very much. I don't remember saying that. You sent us like three videos. Did? Yes. I remember that. We'll see. Let's read it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have some I'm going to have some thoughts on it. Let's read. Chapter 26 is from Isabel's perspective. There was something about driving with my parents that always made me the worst driver. Yes. 
No matter how much time I'd spent with my hands gripped on the steering wheel, put a parental unit in the passenger seat, and I instantly started braking too hard and turning too soon and hitting the wipers when I reached for the radio knob. <laughs> okay, and so her and her mom, like, come up to this car off the side of the road. And Isabel comments, oh, stellar parking job. Isabel's mom, for some reason, you know, even though she's been drinking the wine, mm-hmm. maybe that's why she insists. Isabel, pull in right behind them. They might need help. And then Isabel's response is, I guess, what takes the cake for me. Mom, you're the one who said to never stop in case I get raped or picked up by a Democrat. Mom shook her head and pulled a compact out of her purse. I never said that. That sounds like your father. She flipped the visor down to look at herself in the small whited mirror. I would have said libertarian. Which I'm offended by. <laughs> What's wrong with libertarians? <laughs> I say as a libertarian. And then, so on, what would we do anyway? We can't change a tire. Can you picture, like, I, me and my mom, I feel like this would be the conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if she would be like, let's help. But we would be like, what can we do? Like, we're the most <laughs> incapable humans. <laughs> well, like, according to Isabel, somewhere in this chapter, I don't know where, but she's like, her mom wants to help because it's like the doctor and her, like maybe somebody's injured, so she wants to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, really I'm that part. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, and then her mom comments that there's a cop and they might need medical assistance. And Isabel's perspective reads, mom lived in a hope of finding someone who needing medical assistance she was always very eager for someone to get hurt on the playground when i was little (laughs) she eyed line cooks at fast food restaurants waiting for a kitchen disaster to strike in california she used to stop on accidents at accidents all the time as the superhero her line was does anyone need a doctor i'm a doctor (laughs) My father told me once that I needed to go easy on her. She had a hard time getting her degree because of family issues. And she just liked the novelty. Novelty. Of being able to tell people she was a doctor. Okay, fine. Self-actualize yourself. But really, I thought she gotten over it. (laughs) I just love it because... I, I was almost like, is she like an angel of mercy at some point? Like, it, does she create situations in order to save people? <laughs> well, she's like, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past her, Peyton. I would not put it past I her. I watch too much Deadly Women is what I'm getting Same. from it. <laughs> and so they end up approaching um, the officer and I guess the person who's pulled over. Yeah. And the officer greets her, greets Isabel's mom, Dr. Culpepper. And then her mom, of course, is like, Officer, hey, for I just stopped to see if you needed me. So I'm a doctor, you know? Well, that's decent of you for sure. This your daughter? She's as pretty as you, Doc. Weirdo. I know. Yeah. I was like, that was an unnecessary comment, but okay. I find it strange when strange men comment on... I had one guy or one man, man... Uh, at a church function one time tell me how pretty I was like just while we were talking and I'm like I'm gonna go over here now thank you goodbye Isabel's being observant and everything and she asks what's the gun for uh, everyone looks at her and she says well I'm just wondering Hayfort says well seems Mr. Lundgren Lundgren however you say that guy's name doesn't matter Lundgren? here decided to take a wolf hunt into his own hands to do a bit of spotlighting and then Mr. Lundgren protested, 
Well, now, officer, you know that's not what went down. I just happened upon it and shot from a truck. That's not quite the same. I suppose not, Hayfort said. But there is a dead animal here, and no one's supposed to be shooting much of anything after sundown. Much less with a point three eight. I don't know how to say gun. 38. .38 revolver. 38. It's a 38. Oh. Whatever. A 38 revolver? I know you know better, Mr. Lundgren. Wait, I said. You kill a wolf? Obviously, Isabel's panicking. Yeah. She's thinking of all her wolfy friends. And Isabel's mother responds, My husband told me no one was allowed to hunt them until the aerial hunt. To keep from scaring them into hiding. And Hayfort agrees with this, yeah. So, okay, Isabel is, she's looking at the wolf, and she says, Dear God, and possibly St. Anthony, I know I ask for a lot of stupid things, but this one is important. Please, please, please don't let it be, Grace. And she comes across it and sees it and realizes, oh, this is a coyote. And then she tells them what idiots they are because it's a coyote not a wolf yeah 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 isabel's mom asked uh officer hayfor about this situation and if this has been happening lately mm-hmm. um and if they're just keeping it under wraps and he says boys will be boys that's <sighs> what he says Ugh. we're doing our best we're telling them to you know hold off but boys will be boys they gotta use their guns you know Ugh. yeah same I'm going to be honest, like, I know this is taking place in Minnesota, but all I can think of this is them being Southern people and all of this being said in a Southern we'll get accent. get my guns. Well, I mean, it's because the country. It calls, yeah. It's a small well, town thing. Yeah, honestly, like, even up north, the country's still the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm not talking I about I think it just really came out country. to me when he called mosquitoes skeeters, and I was like, yeah. yep. <laughs> Isabel's mom tells her. Don't touch that. About the coyote. I'm like, she's not going to touch the coyote. She might take, you know, like a vial of its blood or something. You know? <laughs> she would, no, yeah. While you're not looking. Uh, Hayfor asks Isabel's mom, you haven't been drinking tonight, have you, Doc? And, of course, her mom reassures him, Isabel's driving. Let's go. <laughs> and then as they're walking away, her mom comments, Hicks, I hate that man. This may have cured me of my philosophy. <laughs> philanthropic nature for good i didn't believe it for a second <laughs> yes, next well, time she thought she might be able to help she'd be jumping out of a car again before it stopped rolling whether or not they wanted her i guess i was turning out a lot like my mother <laughs> that moment of realization we all hate to have yeah i would also like to add that uh, while i was reading this i can comp- i did not remember anything about Isabel's mom being a doctor but now that you reread that I remember in shiver about her being a doctor yeah. um, and then at this point her mom mentions moving back to California which makes Isabel very upset because Grace is she, like WTF she's creating this life here she's you know she has friends here now mm-hmm. other things possibly Cole. she feels like her life is worth oh. something, something here at the moment in stupid Minnesota stupid mercy balls i don't think there is anything important after that well at the end like her mom says i can't believe that man mistook a coyote for a wolf and isabel says ominously <laughs> well some people only see what they want to see dun, dun, dun. And that's the end thank you caitlin for putting up with my antics i just felt like because you like the tropiness of that it would be good so chapter 27 is from grace's point of view 
Grace goes down to see Sam. They say their hellos, and he asks her if she's eaten anything. She complains about her bread sandwich, and he apologizes for not being good at grocery shopping. They discuss hating grocery shopping. Sam wonders if the beautiful pink light in the sky is the Aurora Borealis. Grace says it's probably the Quickie Mart. <laughs> the Quickie Mart? I accidentally said Quickie Mart instead of Quickie Mart. I was like, Mart. I know what happens there. <laughs> yep. Yes, the book does state Quick Mart. Just FYI. I had to look because I was like, there's no way that's the name of the store. <laughs> Uh, Sam states he wants the reason to be more magical than a convenience store. Grace states the Aurora Borealis isn't any more magical than the convenience store. Sam decides he wants to take her to see it if it is the lights in the sky or if it is or if it's the quickie mark. They plan to leave and kiss. He tells her how much he's missed looking at her face. Grace says she misses having a face. <laughs> she tries to make a joke and it falls face. flat. I miss it too. <laughs> I missed having a face. The rest is from Sam's point of view. Grace asks Sam if he's going to marry her. They tend to have this conversation often. Literally every book they talk about getting married. Yeah, they do. Sam considers this to be an odd thought considering the drama and instability of their lives right now. But he recognizes that while the woods claim her for the winter, she can still be his summer girl. They both love each other, so what's stopping them? He says it's a deal, and she asks if he really means it, to which he says, I really mean it. The chapter ends with Grace grasping onto his hand and saying, now you can take me home. I want you to hold on to that part. I got nothing to say except quickie more. (laughs) Well, just that, and then following it up with, convenience store (laughs) for all your conveniences (laughs) I'm sick of (laughs) y'all I actually thought that was what that was named actually I don't think I have editing capabilities that's what I thought no I I wrote quickie mart that was just hilarious (laughs) moving on moving on alright we're on to chapter 28 which is from Sam's perspective when they reach home again Grace falls asleep in Sam's bed He isn't ready to sleep, so he goes downstairs and starts to play his guitar. He decides now is a good time to work on himself and his trauma, and keeps playing his guitar while walking into the bathroom and sitting in the bathtub, of course, confronting his fears with that and what happened when he was young. Four hours later, that's how Cole finds him, sitting cross-legged in an empty bathtub, still playing the guitar. I'm glad you caught my typo there, too. Do I need to sing this? Go ahead. Whatever you want to do. Chapter 29 is Sam's perspective, and I'm guessing it's his song. Wake me up, wake me up, you said. But I was sleeping too, I was dreaming. But now I'm waking up, still waking up, I can see the sun. So this is obviously his waking up song. That mm-hmm. All I thought was Evanescence. Wake me up inside. <laughs> Chapter 30 starts with Grace's perspective. Grace wakes up in a dark room with Sam sleeping beside her. She wonders what woke her in the dead of night until she hears crashing sounds. Cole, Grace, and Sam go to the garage to investigate. After waiting, they discover that it is a raccoon, and Cole wonders how it got in the garage. Damn raccoon! 
Uh, and then the next part is from Sam's point of view. They try to get the raccoon out of the garage, and Cole states that this is why moving the wolves isn't the best idea. Animals undomesticated don't respond well to human commands. They discuss where to go and how to get there. Cole's trapping plan hasn't even caught one wolf. Cole tells them about Beck's journals starting when he was a wolf, but not in Mercy Falls. Sam asks what it mentioned about the relocation of the pack. Cole states it only said that Hannah helped out a lot. They decide they will figure it out once they get the raccoon out. Damn raccoon. They realize there is another raccoon when the first one leaves and it follows. Following the leader. They realize, and I imagine in the tune of the song from Peter Pan, that's Caitlin. uh, Cole says, solving the puzzle, one of us has to lead them out. We're following the leader, the leader, the leader. We're following the leader wherever they may go. Go. Yeah. wherever he may go yeah that's what i thought of mm-hmm. as soon as that happened funnily I'm enough saying it because i couldn't remember how it went <laughs> i had to look up what it was from uh can't wait until we get to the fan cast because that's gonna be fun peter pan maybe oh entry they're trying to figure out how to get the wolves out of mercy falls before the aerial mm-hmm. and they consider you know how beck moved all the wolves before which he wrote down in his journal. And then with this whole raccoon situation, they realize, okay, there needs to be a wolf who's in charge that somehow knows to go. Mm-hmm. And everyone follows them. So hold on to that one, too. Yeah. All right. We're going to finish it out with chapter 31, which is from Grace's perspective. And this is actually the next morning. And Grace is kind of wandering through the house because she wakes up first. So during this, Grace is thinking about how she's missing her life before becoming a wolf. And she decides to go down to the basement where she finds a distant learning book in the little basement library. And while she's down there drinking coffee, Cole wakes up and goes downstairs and finds her like this and then asks if she misses school. She tells him she does and she knows that he probably wouldn't understand because he chose to be in a band over going to college. He says he actually likes studying and then asks her if she remembered what happened in the hospital. Her memory is hazy, so Cole recounts uh, everything that happened, including her father punching Sam. And this leads to them ended up discussing the cure and how Sam was able to shift sometimes, not because of the heat or the cold, before he was permanently human, like when he saved her as a kid and when he got shot. Of course, during this, Sam wakes up and he goes downstairs in the basement with them and Cole says, we were just talking about the cure. And Sam goes, the band? I was just waiting on that one. From this, the discussion ends up landing on Beck and what kind of person he was, and then this leads on to becoming an argument between Sam and Cole, who clearly saw two different sides of Beck. Sam, who saw the father figure who looked out for his family, and Cole, who saw the pack leader who considered logistics and werewolf nature. Cole, being the toxic person he is, manipulates the situation by asking if Sam wants to... to asked Beck himself about the man's past and all the messed up things that he did. Sam then reminds him that it's impossible because Beck is now forever a wolf, which Cole follows up saying, if Sam could have 15 minutes with Beck, would he do it? Sam, of course, thinks this is fundamentally wrong because it would be against Beck's will, drugging him to turn him back into human just for 15 minutes, which Cole then follows up with, it's adrenaline, not prom sex. Gotta love him. (laughs) (laughs) Cole continues to tell him they might stabilize the shifts like with him and Grace. 
Sam doesn't answer. And then it's quoted Taylor here. Tell me yes, Cole said. Tell me to find him and I will. And this, I thought, was why Sam and Cole could not get along. Because when it came down to it, Cole made bad decisions for good reasons and Sam couldn't justify that. Now, Cole dangled this tempting thing in front of Sam. This thing he wanted more than anything. Along with the thing that he wanted the least. I wasn't sure which answer I wanted him to give. I saw Sam Swallow turning to me. He said softly, What do I say? I didn't know what to tell him that he didn't already know. I crossed my arms. I could think of a thousand reasons for and against, but all of them started and ended with the wanting I saw on Sam's face now. You have to be able to live with yourself, I told him. Cole said, He'll die out there anyway, Sam. Sam turned away from both of us, his hands linked behind his head. He stared at the rows and rows of Beck's books. Not looking at either of us, he said, Fine. Yes, find him. I met Cole's eyes and held them. Cole, I said, Beck means everything to him. This isn't a game. Don't do anything you aren't sure of, okay? I'm always sure of what I do, he said. Sometimes I was just never sure there was supposed to be a happy ending. Dun, dun, dun. Which <laughs> makes sense from Cole's perspective. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're going to try this thing out, see how it goes. He's like, I want to see some action, some drama. Mm-hmm. Bring it to me. You know, he had this whole planned out before this even happened. He's like, Beck was a different person to me than he was to you, so I'm going to see y'all duke it out. The buildup's starting to happen. Yeah. I think this is, it's gotten to where it's more interesting, a little bit more different things are going on, and you kind of have an idea where it could be going, but of course, we're never really sure. Yeah. And the main, like, plot thing to consider is that the wolves need to leave Mercy Falls before... Mm -hmm. The aerial hunt, yeah, which is supposed to be happening in a few weeks, but will it or won't it? Stay I guess tuned. we'll see. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Let's Call It Nothing Pod, and we will see you next time. Bye. See you later. <laughs> Please don't do Riley, Riley Cyrus. That's not. That's Hannah Montana. Okay. Riley Cyrus. I'm gonna kill you one of these days. <laughs> Please don't. You'll miss me. <laughs>